Okay. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to today's uh, meeting and the lesson for today is all things are echoes of the voice for God. So let's just take that thought into the silence for a moment. Let's get centered with that. All things are echoes of the voice for God. And when you're ready, gently come back. So this, this lesson really has a lot in it. And, you know, when we first hear that lesson title, All Things Are Echoes of the Voice for God, you know, what does that mean? How can this be? You know, have you turned on the news lately? <laughs> but it's like the uh, preceding lesson, the review lesson, the, the central theme of that was our thoughts hold, our mind holds only the thoughts that we share with God, that we think with God. And again, that's another one of those statements. It's like, well, I know I have a lot of thoughts that aren't very godlike, <laughs> and I don't see how that could be true. But those are absolute statements. And if we are as God created us, we remain as God created us. He, he extended his love as us. So of course, how could it be anything else? So how then can there be so much chaos, the pan pandemics, the riots, the protests? You know, we're seeing, we're surely seeing something else other than echoes of the voice for God and uh, the thoughts that we share with God. But that's the whole point. If there is only God and we're expressions of that love, then what we're seeing through our five senses cannot possibly be the truth. It can't be believed. And in uh, chapter seven, under uh, it says very clearly the whole purpose of this course is to teach that the ego is unbelievable and will forever be unbelievable. So um, right back in, uh, let's see, page 64 of the text in the section, this need not be, he tells us you are a mirror of truth in which God himself shines in perfect light. To the ego's dark glass, you need but say, I will not look there because I know these images are not true. Then let the Holy One shine on you in peace, knowing that this and only this must be. His mind shone on you in your creation and brought your mind into being. His mind still shines on you and must shine through you. Your ego cannot prevent him from shining on you, but it can prevent you from letting him shine through you. So it was a choice that we made. And this lesson really addresses the two ways of being in the world, the two thought systems that seem to govern this world, only one of which is true. They're the one that we made and gave power to the ego. And that's the one that results from all the, uh, that results in all the confusion that we see around us. 
And then the Holy Spirit's thought system is the correction for what we made. And the lesson focuses on judgment, judgment by us, the arbitrary judgments that we make based on the messages that we receive through our body's five senses, which are not reliable witnesses, as it tells us, but they merely reflect the underlying beliefs that we are sinful, that we are guilty. And that is what we will see then in all the attack and outpictured in the world. Or there's also the judgment by, that happens through us, not by us, but through us, the Holy Spirit's judgment, which reflects or echoes, as he says, the truth of our innocence, that everything's love or a call for love because we remain as God created us. And um, on page 231 in the uh, text in chapter 12, He's, he says to us, I said before that what you project or extend is up to you. This is on paragraph seven on page 231. Um, what you project or extend is up to you, but you must do one or the other, for that is a law of mine. And you must look in before you look out. And then as you look in, you choose the guide for seeing. And then you look out and behold his witnesses. So what you want in yourself, you will make manifest. And then down uh, the first sentence of paragraph eight, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. The contradictory nature of the witnesses you perceive is merely the reflection of your conflicting invitations. And then in par paragraph nine, the power of decision, there's that decision maker. The power of decision is your one remaining freedom as a prisoner of this world. You can decide to see it right. What you made of it is not its reality, for its reality is only what you give it. You cannot really give anything but love to anyone or anything, nor can you really receive anything but love from them. If you think you have received something else, anything else, it's because you have looked within and thought you saw the power to give something else within yourself. So again, that makes, from that understanding, that makes this lesson a lot clearer that we might not be seeing that or hearing that message, but that's the truth. If there's only love, then everything has to be an echo of the voice of, for God. And it's interesting how he uses words like echoes or other times he'll use reflections to say that's the most we can have in this world. Uh, and those are terms that we normally associate with our, you know, five senses. But in this case, he's describing another way of seeing, another way of hearing, which has nothing to do with the ego's perception. So it isn't what we see or hear, but how we see and hear that changes as we join with the Holy Spirit in our mind. But we really can't do that until that is, we, we're the ones that determine that that's our choice of what we truly want. And when we want that and only that, then that's what we'll have. And right in the preface, I love that section, what it says, because it's really a good summary of the whole course. And uh, I read it frequently because the main principles are there. But it tells us again about perception that it only permits into the mind what it has chosen to look upon. 
so back to that paragraph we were just reading that um, we thought that we saw the power to give something else within ourselves. It was only this decision that determined what you found for it was the decision that you sought. So this lesson then uh, starts with this statement of truth that um, all things are echoes of the voice for God. And then he spends about a third of the, the lesson telling us, you know, we really don't believe that and showing us what we do believe. The ego's thought system, its judgment on us, and then showing us how ludicrous it is and how we can turn to the Holy Spirit to judge us truly. And then the rest of the lesson is really, he um, is encouraging us to turn to him, you know, and, and telling us that we really, it, it will be better if we choose him as our guide. So he doesn't change the dream per se, but he, he will change how we interpret what the message is that we are getting back. And when that happens, that's referred to as the resurrection, as we have new meaning of about the purpose of the world. So um, before anybody have any comments or anything before we start looking at the lesson, anything that's come up while you've been reading it and we'll go through it and then we're going to read some from the section on what is judgment in the manual for teachers. So is, uh, is Baltimore burning? <laughs> yeah, I had, I haven't really turned the news, but Larry, <laughs> Larry said, yeah, now things have, uh, yeah, they, they're, they're, they've joined the, uh, the frenzy. <laughs> so, yeah. Crazy. So I, I, I was watching the, uh, what was happening here in Denver last night it got a little bit tamer, but the night before it was pretty rough. And, uh, and, and I was thinking about this lesson in terms of what I thought I was seeing. <laughs> right. Um, Cause it looked pretty violent. Yeah. And, and even the, the, the news teams on the street obviously were scared to death. <laughs> I mean, at one point, Ali Vesher from, he got shot with a rubber bullet or something. <laughs> I mean, it was wild stuff and mm -hmm. people running. Yeah, so I mean, it was just, it was interesting trying to work this process with violence in my face. <laughs> right. Oh, well, worldly violence. I mean, we're always in violent mode, but just certainly. It didn't look like an echo for the voice of God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this lesson is really timely, isn't it? Because it's uh, showed us how can we possibly believe this? But um, I even saw Muji had, had a, mm -hmm. uh, he gave a, something about it too he had his opinion he usually doesn't do that but he he had something that, of course he sees it as a message from god that um this is something that's coming up to be uh looked at that we can no longer accept it you know that um it's in our face we you know everybody sees it and they have to make a decision if it's acceptable or not he really wasn't much into condemnation of the people but of the of the behavior itself and and then what people do and you know the rioting and everything uh, um, people were brought in from other places to you know disturb people up and and um just the whole thing is so chaotic so but you know i have we have to keep holding on to this is the truth regardless of what our senses are telling us and everything we see um that we can you know, we either believe this or we don't, it's our choice. And uh, we, we, there is another way of looking at it. And eventually, I was thinking about how, um, you know, when the Holy Spirit, uh, the change that occurs and the way that we see things. And I was thinking about 
as a child, I, I liked horror movies. I, I really enjoyed being scared. I like that feeling, you know, that excitement, that fear. And now I can't stand anything like that, you know, but, um, and, and it used to, I used to prey on my mind, you know, these horrible things that you would see. And then eventually they just become ridiculous. I mean, you still might see them, but they just don't have that effect on you anymore. You, you don't believe it anymore. You don't give it power anymore. And that's what we do. We give our power away when we, um, when we give it to externals, you know? So um, anyway, I was, I think that's a, a pretty good analogy. It's, it's all just a nightmare. And the Holy Spirit offers us another way of saying, what if it's not true? You know, he's trying to help us awaken from this, from this crazy dream that we made up. So, Dave, Dave, did you have a comment or Captain Dave? Oh. <laughs> if I was, if that was my captain shirt, I have a star on it somewhere. Oh, no stars, man. <laughs> No, I actually didn't have anything to say, Tim. But, but, but thanks for thinking of me. <laughs> well, would somebody like to read maybe the first two paragraphs? Anybody? I'll read it. Okay. <laughs> uh, all things are echoes of the voice for God. <clears throat> no one can judge on partial evidence. That is not judgment. <clears throat> it is merely an opinion based on ignorance and doubt. Its seeming certainty is but a cloak for the uncertainty it would conceal. It needs irrational defense because it is irrational. And its defense seems strong, convincing, and without a doubt because of all the doubting underneath. You do not seem to doubt the world you see. You do not really question what is shown you through the body's eyes, nor do you ask why you believe it, even though you learned a long while since your senses do deceive. That you believe them to the last detail which they report is even stranger when you pause to re recollect uh, how frequently they have been faulty witnesses indeed. Why would you trust them so implicitly? Why, but because of underlying doubt, which you hide with a show, with show of certainty. Mm. Any uh, comments on that? I, I just think that it's, you know, he's really pointing up something valid is that uh, our certainty is really a defense um, against um, what we know is true, uh, but we, we you know, if, if we admit that it's true, then it's going to blow our ego away. So, um, you know, it, 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 seems, it seems safer to lie to ourselves than it does to um, accept the, the certainty, you know, until we learn that, that certainty is given, given to us by somebody that, by, by um, our, <clears throat> an identity, which is so gentle and so loving, until we learn that, that it is gentle and loving, um, we're going to be afraid of it to some degree. Mm -hmm. I, I was also, I was also thinking about the, uh, as I was reading this earlier this morning, the, the, uh, the whole realm of optical illusions and, and, you know, the sensory illusions of, of in general, but, but particularly the optical illusions. And, and, you know, we, we see countless examples of that, how our senses deceive us. And yet we, you know, 
it just that comment of how we trust them implicitly because well that's that's got to be real you know it's sort of like the it's i saw it on tv or on the web it must be real you know <laughs> but uh you know we just take so much at face value and forgetting that you know it, it's just incredibly um unreliable uh, you know interpretation that the ego gives us right and the whole purpose is to keep us distracted and to keep us mindless. So uh, we need to constantly, it's like people that are trying to defend their position when they're not, they're not really sure of it. And it's like you protest too much. <laughs> so you keep getting, you, you have to defend that because we know underneath that it's really not true. We're not certain, but we don't want to give it up. So um yeah, so the, the more distracting it is, the better. <laughs> so we have pretty a lot of proof that, you know, what, we're, what we believe in this ego is true. We, we have witnesses all, all, all around, but these are faulty witnesses. I think, uh, I think Barb has something, then maybe, oh, yeah, maybe I Lynn. I can't see everybody because I'm on my iPad. So I was just going to say, and what makes it confusing, we have enough successes at the illusory certainty experiences that keeps us enticed to stay down that path mm. because you know it's just enough for us to think that well maybe this is true and this can continue it, it's it, it so so it's difficult to let that go it's like gambling, you know, uh, it's all a numbers game. And eventually, you know, you're going to win it. You're going to win something big or whatever the case may be. This is kind of the same thing. Um, it's a gamble and it comes around enough times to be seemingly successful. The certainties, the false certainties that um, we're not ready to give it up because, well, maybe... It, it really, like you said, it distracts us to truly believing Holy Spirit and right. Holy Spirit right. teaching. I was also going to share an idea about <clears throat> the, the sirens that uh, have been in the news. Uh, and there was a Facebook post on, on, on Gary Renard's uh, Facebook page. And I, I reminded me of, uh, I'd actually uh, been thinking about this, the sirens and the metaphor from Greek mythology years ago. So I, I, I wrote a little paragraph about this that, that I put in my book that, that if I can, um, if, if I could spare uh, you know, everyone's sure. attention for a minute, a couple of minutes, I, I, I wrote this little section called tie my interpretations to the mast. <laughs> and, and then I wrote Odysseus in Greek mythology wanted to hear how the destructive yet alluring siren and sounded without risking his ship and crew. So he had all his sailors plug their ears with beeswax and tie him to the mast with orders not to untie him no matter how much he begged. This is symbolic of an inner discipline to patiently observe our temporal motivations without needing to identify with them and training our mind to merely witness what appears to be appealing. We start to notice how our false interpretations inevitably get us into trouble and steer us away from our true course toward lasting happiness. We begin to feel freedom after choosing the thought system of inclusion that directs us away from the rocky shoals of separation that the seductive sirens of specialness lure us toward. Another favorite metaphor from Tomas Vera is the inner used car salesman ceaselessly trying to sell us yet another lemon saying in <laughs> essence, I've never sold you anything but lemons, but you got to trust me just this one last time. 
<laughs> crazy thing is we've trashed our inner planet with the junkyard, junkyard rust bu buckets from this guy. So anyway, <laughs> in case that's helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> Lynn, did you have something? Uh, no, I just, uh, well, I unmuted so that I, I could read when you ask. Usually I'm, I'm too slow to find everything and be able to, but I wanted to comment on, on Bruce too. I can, I can actually, I knew Tomas and I could actually see Tomas saying that and writing it. It's <laughs> right, great. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, you know, dreams, like, like, like when we wake up in the morning, we're coming out of a dream that we remember for a little while anyway. And how we, while we were dreaming, we took, even though it was totally fantastic and totally unlike anything, you know, dead people were back alive again and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we were, you know, I was 25 again or whatever it was. I mean, just, just stuff that was just impossible. And I didn't have any problem at all believing that was what was happening. <laughs> I mean, just none. And then you come out of it and then it seems like this is, this dream is fairly consistent. So you think this, because it's consistency, kind of like what Bar Barbaris was referring to, that there's this ongoing consistency to it. And it seems like our senses aren't affirming what, what is palpable, what is seems to be real. So compared to the sleeping dream, which I totally bought, why would I think this dream, even though it seems consistent, <laughs> why am I buying this one? <laughs> right, right. And that I've always thought I was either blessed or cursed because I my dreams have always been so vivid that and there were times where it like throughout half of the next day I really thought whatever happened had really happened they were, they were that vivid and they still are so that's easy for me though now to understand how this like you were saying that if that seems so real and but it was a dream then I can at least except on some level that this could be too, even when we seem to be awake. So um, yeah, our senses deceive us, but again, we're always getting what we have chosen. And that's the thing to keep in mind, you know, that we, we're the ones that chose to, to see this and we can ask to see something different. And another thing I think about you know, is talking about how our senses and what we're seeing and um, you know, how, I think of it like a big jigsaw puzzle and everybody's got a little section of this puzzle and from that they're trying to see the whole picture and and you know that's impossible so we're only getting glimpses here and there and trying to make sense of this world and we never see the beginning we never see really the end of anything we're always coming in in the middle and then we're trying to make judgments based based on that and what uh, yeah what uh, what i was thinking uh, the purpose of the dream is what Jesus wants to get us to look at. Not, he doesn't really want us, I mean, eventually we'll walk around and realize it's a dream. But to go around saying that when we don't believe it, it's not real, real helpful. But what is helpful is, am I upset for the reason I think? Right. You know, I mean, that's the question I want to ask myself. Do I know, do, in, in, my, in my insistency, I know who the bad guy is. That's what keeps me believing this is not a dream. So first I take care of my insistency that I know who the bad guys are. I, I'm willing to see them the way Jesus does. I'm willing to stop insisting I'm upset for the reason I think. And then eventually we'll get to that third step of forgiveness where we actually realize without even have to, having to say it that this is a dream. Thank you. Yeah. yeah.
So the third paragraph, I'll, I'll read that one because then we go to um, the manual for teachers, number 10. How can you judge? Your judgment rests upon the witness that your senses offer you. Yet witness never falser was than this. But how else do you judge the world you see? You place pathetic faith in what your eyes and ears report. You think your fingers touch reality and close upon the truth. This is awareness that you understand and think more real than what is witnessed to by the eternal voice for God himself. And then, uh, well, actually the next paragraph, can this be judgment? You have often been urged to refrain from judging, not because it is a right to be withheld from you. You cannot judge. You merely can believe the ego's judgments, all of which are false. It guides your senses carefully to prove how weak you are, how helpless and afraid, how apprehensive of just punishment, how black with sin, how wretched in your guilt. <laughs> so that's, that's the whole point is to prove we're just getting back the messages that we are sinful and we're guilty. That's what, what our eager, ego is showing us. But, um, and then we have to see it outside of us because we don't want to look at it within that that's what we really believe on some level. If we could turn to uh, how is judgment relinquished on page 27 of the manual for teachers just for a moment. Just paragraphs uh, two and three. He's really just reiterating that same thing you just read, but um, goes on a little bit more detail. Anybody like to read paragraph two? I will. Okay. It is necessary for the teacher of God to realize, not that he should not judge, but that he cannot. In giving up judgment, he is merely giving up what he did not have. He gives up an illusion, or better, he has an illusion of giving up. <laughs> he has actually merely become more honest recognizing that judgment was always impossible for him he no longer attempts it um, <clears throat> this is no sacrifice on the contrary he puts himself in a position where judgment through him rather than by him can occur and this judgment is neither good nor bad it is the only judgment there is, and it is only one. God's son is guiltless, and sin does not exist. Did you want three also, Tony? Okay. The aim of our curriculum, unlike the goal of the world's learning, is the recognition that judgment in the usual sense is impossible. This is not an option, but a fact. In order to judge anything rightly, one would have to be fully aware of an inconceivably wide range of things, past, present, and to come. One would have to recognize in advance all the effects of his judgments on everyone and everything involved in them in any way. And one would have to be certain there, are, there is no distortion in his perception so that his judgment would be wholly fair, 
to everyone on whom it rests now and in the future. Who is in a position to do this? Who, except in grandiose fantasies, would claim this for himself? I think that's what uh, Jesus said in the first place. This is not an option, but a fact. <laughs> Opinion works too, but this is not an option. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so we, again, we, we don't know what's in our own best interest, let alone anybody else's best interest. So when we're judging anything that we see and anything that we hear, we, things are always being taken out of context and none of the messages are true, but um, so we make some more special, more right than others. And it's just a big game that we're playing. You know, it's really impossible to really judge anything truly. So um, I, ha I had a, a, a story I heard a long time ago about, and it might, reminded me of that, coming into the middle of a story, um, Arnold Patton, I don't know if any of you remember him, but he was real popular in the maybe the 80s, early 90s. And I think he was a course student, but I heard him say, um, someone's coming up to an intersection and th what they see is this mother yanking her child seemingly angrily that was his interpretation and thought it was a little bit cruel you know pulling this child across the street but he said if they had gotten there maybe just half a minute <laughs> sooner they would have seen how this you know this child darted out into the street and she was trying to save him from an oncoming vehicle but she came in in the middle of the story and then he said we're always coming into the middle of the story and I, that has just stayed with me because we never really know anything how why people are responding the way they're responding what's going on in their their uh, life that day and then we make judgments and um it's, it's just habitual that's what we do instead of even giving people you know letting them off the hook giving them the benefit of a doubt well that's a step in the right direction i guess but um, eventually we have to see in anything, anytime we judge, uh, we really don't have no basis for it. Not really, not truly. The only true judgment is that we're all in this together and we all have share the common need to awaken. That's there. And that, but in truth, we're all the son of God that has never sinned. So uh, I think we're down to paragraph four. Yeah, I think any, anybody like to read the next two paragraphs? Maybe. I got it. Okay. Um, remember how many times you thought you knew all oh, the facts? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm back sorry. in the... I'm in, back in the lesson. I'm sorry. <laughs> Paragraph four. Can this be judgment? <laughs> you have often been urged from judging, not because it is a right to be withheld from you, you cannot judge. You merely can believe the ego's judgment, all of which are false. It guides your senses carefully to prove how weak you are, how helpless and afraid, how apprehensive of just punishment, how black with sin, how wretched in your guilt. This yeah. thing, go ahead. Go ahead, I, I, I think we'd already read that, I'm sorry, I got mistaken. Yeah, go on, I'm reading that number five. Okay. <laughs> this thing it speaks of and would yet defend, it tells you is yourself. And you believe that this is so with stubborn certainty, yet underneath remains the hidden doubt that what it shows you as reality with such conviction, it does not believe. It is itself alone that it condemns. 
it is within itself, it sees the guilt. It is its own despair it sees in you. Mm -hmm. Any comments on that, Tim? Well, I was just thinking, you know, in terms of coming into the middle of the story, after we bought the tiny mad idea, we're always coming in <laughs> to the middle of the story. <laughs> the story starts with the tiny mad idea, and everything after that is the middle. <laughs> it doesn't really exist, but <laughs> after that, it's all downhill. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of uh, Orson Welles' uh, initial radio broadcast of The War of the Worlds. I think, I think Ken Wapnick might have talked about this, uh, how you know, we all came in you know, in the middle of the broadcast, and, and we didn't hear the disclaimer at the beginning that says, this is a, you know, a, a fantasy. And, we, you know, and so the people, there were actually people that, that you know, did you know, severe, took severe actions when they heard that radio story because they thought it was the real deal. But we're, we're kind of like that because you know, we, we missed the, the opening comment that said, this is just all made up. This is a fantasy. And, and we believed it. But apparently, the people who tuned into that radio broadcast, you know, what, 90 some odd, whatever it was some, some odd years ago and and thought it was you know a real real invasion and because Orson Welles had a you know pretty commanding <laughs> you know it pretty it seemed pretty believable like all the the believable stuff in the world that we've bought into yeah. be nice if we wake up every morning we have that right in front of us that this is all a dream <laughs> don't believe it <laughs> but uh, we forget as soon as our we wake up as we're back into the seeming reality. Like the movie was it the movie Inception? I think they talk about that. How? Oh yeah. Great, great do, we, do you remember, ever remember the beginning of the dream? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, just, it's there. So it's like that every day when we open our eyes. Yesterday we watched uh, the latest uh, Men in Black movie, and I was thinking about how you know the Holy Spirit and the ego both have neuralizers. If you remember the, the neuralizer pens that will flash the light, and right. people people would would forget everything that they saw. I was thinking, well, you know, the ego's <laughs> neuralizer flash you know flashes out every time we tune into that thought system. It it erases anything that the Holy Spirit has has said, and that there's that's our resistance. And the Holy Spirit's neuralizer just undoes all the guilt. In, in our minds and our and all our projections, <laughs> mutually exclusive neuralizers. Yeah. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> that would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know. I think if we realize that um, every time we condemn anyone, we're really condemning ourselves. There, because there's only one Son of God, and so if I condemn someone else, I only make myself guiltier, and it just never ends until we really sincerely see that we're hurting ourselves you know it, it, it believe we believe we're getting rid of it by condemning others but we're we're only adding to it in knowing that there's there's only one son of god whatever i'm extending or projecting i'm giving the entire sonship so you know there's there is a motivation for letting it go for sure Eventually, we all decide that enough is enough. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a better way. Got to be a better way. Yeah. So we're down to a paragraph. Would someone like to read six and seven? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, I'll read it. <clears throat> okay. Thank you. Hear not its voice. The witnesses it sends to prove to you its evil is your own are false. 
and speak with certainty of what they do not know. Your faith in them is blind because you would not share the doubts their Lord cannot completely vanquish. You believe to doubt his vassals is to doubt yourself. Yet you must learn to doubt their evidence will clear the way to recognize yourself. And let the voice for God alone be judge of what is worthy of your own belief. He will not tell you that your brother should be judged by what your eyes behold in him, nor what his body's mouth says to your ears, nor what your fingers touch reports of him. He passes by such idle witnesses, which merely bear false witness to God's Son. He recognizes only what God loves, and in the holy light of what he sees, do all the ego's dreams of what you are vanish before the splendor he beholds. Mm. And now this is where the, the lesson turns, and now he's going to show us the other way um, when we let the Holy Spirit, when we relinquish judgment and give it, turn it over to the Holy Spirit, say, you know, I'm, I can't be the judge anymore. Let you judge through me and let me see as you see. Let me see my brother as myself, that, you know, all encounters be holy encounters. And then we start to um, reinterpret the things that we see, whether the, the world appears to change or not that's not even our concern it just won't have the the same power over us that it had before that we gave it and we start letting we start owning our true power because we gave it all away to to the ego and then that's what we see uh, projected onto the world so I'll, I'll read the next one or next couple i guess let him be judge of what you are the holy spirit for he has certainty in which there is no doubt, because it rests on certainty so great that doubt is meaningless before its face. Christ cannot doubt himself. The voice for God can only honor him, rejoicing in his perfect, everlasting sinlessness. Whom he has judged can only laugh at guilt unwilling now to play with toys of sin, unheeding of the body's witnesses before the rapture of Christ's holy face. And thus he judges you, accept his word for what you are, for he bears witness to your beautiful creation and the mind whose thought created your reality. What can the body mean to him who knows the glory of the Father and the Son. What whispers of the ego can he hear? What could convince him that your sins are real? Let him be judge as well of everything that seems to happen to you in this world. His lessons will enable you to bridge the gap between illusions and the truth. So he let him be judge as well of everything that seems to happen to you in this world. So he just gives us a whole different meaning, a whole different purpose in everything. Whispers oh. of the ego seems to be a little <laughs> understated. <laughs> More like majors and fits. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
um, there's a beautiful a pa a few paragraphs in uh, chapter 25, if we could turn to that just briefly, under this, uh, this lesson, the uh, chapter title is The Justice of God on page 518 of the text. And this just talks again about um, the Christ, the, the truth of who we are, which I thought was just so, so beautiful uh, when we manifest the truth, the Christ, instead of what the ego uh, projects. So would anybody like to read any of that? Uh, paragraph one on page 518, the intro. Sure, the justice. Okay. The Christ in you inhabits not a body, yet he is in you. And thus it must be that you are not within a body. What is within you cannot be outside. And it is certain that you cannot be apart from what is at the very center of your life. What gives you life cannot be housed in death. No more can you. Christ is within a frame of holiness whose only purpose is that he may be made manifest to those who know him not, that he may call to them to come to him and see him where they thought their bodies were. Then their bodies melt away that they may frame his holiness in them. Would you like to read the next paragraph too? Sure. No one who carries Christ in him can fail to recognize him everywhere, except in bodies. And as long as he believes he's in a body where he thinks he is, he, or Christ, cannot be. And so he carries him unknowingly and does not make him manifest. And thus he does not recognize him where he is. The Son of Man is not the risen Christ, yet does the Son of God abide exactly where he is and walks with him within his holiness as plain to see as is his specialness set forth within his body. So again, there's that contrast of the two ways of seeing, the two ways of um, believing about ourselves and then it goes on to say the body needs no healing but the mind that thinks it is a body is sick indeed and it is here that christ sets forth the remedy his purpose folds the body in his light and fills it with the holiness that shines from him and nothing that the body says or does but makes him manifest to those who know him not it carries him in gentleness and love to heal their minds such is the mission that your brother has for you, and such it must be that your mission is for him. So um, I, I just thought that was so beautiful and fitting with this, with this lesson. So uh, we're back, on, uh, back to the lesson again, um, page 279, and we're on paragraph, I think we're on paragraph nine. Was it 10? I'm sorry, I lost place here. Uh, no, 10. We're on paragraph 10. So we just started talking about how uh, the Holy Spirit's interpretation and his judgment on us, of us, and how that can be the judgment through us, how we see our brothers. So paragraph 10. Anybody want to read that? Um, let's see. Anybody? <laughs> well, I will be. Okay. 
Um, <clears throat> 279, right? Right. Paragraph 10. Uh -huh. Yes, ma'am. He will remove all faith that you have placed in pain, disaster, suffering, and loss. He gives you vision which you can, which can look beyond these grim appearances and can behold the gentle face of Christ in all of them. You will no longer doubt that only good can come to you who are beloved of God, for he will judge all happenings and teach the single lesson that they all contain. Would you like to read the next paragraph as well? Sure. He will select the elements in them which represent the truth and disregard those aspects which reflect but idle dreams. And he will reinterpret all you see and all occurrences, each circumstance and every happening that seems to touch on you in any way from his one frame of reference, wholly unified and sure. And you will see the love beyond the hate, the constancy and change, the pure and sin, and only heaven's blessing on the world. Mm, I love that. You know, it's not like not all of our thoughts are wrong. You know, it's only it says only our beloved thoughts we had were ever true. So it's not like this everything is thrown out. You know, it's like he takes the ones that are true, and then the others he just cleans them up. You know, he reinterprets them for us. So. Um, no, he'll disregard those which reflect but idle dreams, but then at other places it says that he, he just reinterprets them for us. Um, yeah, here it says it too. He will reinterpret all you see, all occurrences, each circumstance and every happening from his one frame of reference. And of course, that is that we are, we're innocent. That is the only judgment the Holy Spirit has on us. And that's when that happens. You know, I think another thing came to me the other day. I get things in pictures, but I was doing one of those, um, those 3D illusion uh, pictures. If you look at them and on the surface, it looks just like, it, well, there's nothing. It's, it's just um, maybe repetitive patterns, geometric figures or whatever. And that's all you can see. And if you haven't done it for a while, even, it's hard to look beyond that. <laughs> but if you kind of let your eyes go out of focus, they're a little blurred. All of a sudden, underneath the whole time, this other picture pops forth, the true picture. And it's so obvious. And you think, why didn't I ever see that before? <laughs> but as long as you're just looking on the surface, you can't, you can't possibly see it. So I thought about that. That's kind of like what the when we're seeing with the Holy Spirit reinterprets what we're seeing, it takes this crazy picture, but underneath that, underneath the surface, or sometimes he says to look past it, look beyond it, we'll see the truth. It's there. It's always been there, but we can't see it when our focus is just on the, the surface and we're judging by what our senses are reporting to us. So he's offering us a new way of seeing, um, which has nothing to do with the body's physical eyes. We'll never see the Christ with our physical eyes or, or the Holy Spirit's manifestations. It'll even say you can't, the Holy Spirit's invisible, but you can see the evidence of him in the world. As we open our minds to his truth and our minds are healed, then we will see that reflected back to us. Or the, in this case, the echoes. Um, he uses that word echoes only a couple of times. I think in the Song of Prayer, he talks about the echoes of the, the song, the, the song between the Father and the Son. And people, when they pray, a lot of times when they're praying for things and specifics, 
that's like the echoes. In that case, he's talking about the little things where you can have the whole prayer. You go to God for God and the other things are added. That's the echoes. So here, that's the most we can have in this world are the echoes or the reflections of that truth. I was thinking I should have paragraph 11 taped to the top of my computer screen. So whenever I go to watch New York Times or anything, <laughs> I read that first. <laughs> Holy Spirit will select all the elements in, the, in this news which represent the truth. <laughs> and he'll disregard all the rest. <laughs> a little <That's> prep. <laughs> he's like a big filter. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. That's good. That's, that's the discernment. That's the discernment that uh, another way of looking at the Holy Spirit, you know, shows us what's true and what's not. We learn to discern, discern that. So um, I believe this lesson came around Easter time too, if I, if I recall that. Yeah, at the, at the end he talks about your Easter time, but Helen received it around that time. So he talks about resurrection, of course, the, the meaning, the true meaning of resurrection. In the next paragraph, uh, such is your resurrection, for your, your life is not a part of anything you see. That's another one of those statements, you know, it's so absolute. It stands beyond the body and the world, past every witness for unholiness, within the holy, holy as itself. In every one and everything, his voice would speak to you of nothing but your, your true self and your creator who is one with him. So will you see the holy face of Christ in everything and hear in, in everything no sound except the echo of God's voice. Just think that's so beautiful. <laughs> and then he's, the rest, he's just explaining how to practice this lesson. Um, we practice wordlessly today except at the beginning of the time we spend with God. We introduce these times with but a single, slow repeating of the thought with which the day begins. And then we watch our thoughts, appealing silently to him who sees the elements of truth in them. Let him evaluate each thought that comes to mind. Remove the elements of dreams and give them back again as clean ideas that do not contradict the will of God. So he's like purifying all of, all of our thoughts. Uh, give him your thoughts and he will give them back as miracles, which joyously proclaim the wholeness and the happiness God wills his son as proof of his eternal love. And as each thought is thus transformed, it takes on healing power from the mind which saw the truth in it and failed to be deceived by what was falsely added. All the threads of fantasy are gone, and what remains is unified into a perfect thought that offers its perfection everywhere. So that is still there in us beyond all the, the thoughts, the crazy thoughts that we have, the thoughts of judgment that we have. Those, the true thoughts that we share with God are in our mind. And as we can get more and more in touch with that, it helps the whole sonship because it's really only one of us. It's one mind. And as we awaken to that truth, it helps to awaken it in everyone. And as we see it in others, 
know it's there regardless of what the picture is showing us if we can just know take a moment sometimes when we we're seeing the opposite of that you know and it's like how can i possibly see the truth of my brother but if we just pause and turn to the holy spirit and say help me take this from me help me to see it differently and and just expect that you will be um expect to see things differently it might if it might not happen then it will eventually you know and at the end of the day when we look back on our day uh, i heard kim wapnick say that when you look back and you know if you're doing the lessons for instance and you're judging yourself because you didn't do the lessons every half hour like it said or every 15 minutes you might have even thought about it you know you read it at the beginning of the day and that was it but if you can look back at the end of the day and how many times you didn't do it and you can look at that without judgment that's being in the right mind you're looking at it with the holy spirit you're letting go of the guilt and that's the whole purpose is to let go of the guilt so if we can look back at the end of the day of all the judgments that we've made on anybody in the world you know and and just uh, have that that um, compassion for ourselves, you know, and extend that love to ourselves, and, and not beat ourselves up and say that that's my ego and I help me to choose again. We just keep doing it as long as it takes. You know. every, every 10 minutes if need be, <laughs> there are days like that when you have to do it quite frequently. That prayer, I, I must have chosen wrongly, you know, but I can choose again because I want to be at peace. And that's the decision we're, we're asked to make. And we just keep doing it and things will change. Whether the world changes or not won't be our concern because we'll know the truth beyond the appearance. The world is the way it is. You know, it's, it's a, it says it's a fact. It is because we, we made it for the purpose of being separate and to escape from, from the truth of who we are. But we can see it rightly. We can, ask, we can see it again. So uh, then it goes on, and, and it gets down to paragraph 16, as we have given, spent this time with God and asked for our thoughts to be purified. He says, such is your Easter tide. And so you lay the gift of snow white lilies, that's his symbol for forgiveness, on the world, replacing the witnesses to sin and death. Through your transfiguration is the world redeemed and joyfully released from guilt. Now do we lift our resurrected minds in gladness and in gratitude to him who has restored our sanity to us. And we will hourly remember him who is salvation and deliverance. As we give thanks, the world unites with us and happily accepts our holy thoughts, which heaven has corrected and made pure. Now has our ministry begun at last to carry round the world the joyous news that truth has no illusions and the peace of God through us belongs to everyone. So, any comments? We're like, we're like the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little um, story that ties in with this lesson. Um, I was telling a friend of mine last night, uh, well, we had a, a hailstorm that came through recently, and I, 
I think all the leaves were off of the trees in my front yard and laying on the grass. So I was out there raking away and across the street, there's a young family who lives there, a mother and two 16-year-old girls. And the grandmother came over and was cutting the grass while I was out front raking. And, you know, uh, little Lisa's looking at this with her ego and saying, what is wrong <laughs> with this picture that the grandmother's <laughs> cutting the grass and the two younger girls, 16 years old, are sitting on the porch with the mother? You know, <laughs> so I've got this whole story going on. And then, uh, you know, right away, I, I said to myself, let me see peace instead of this. And I'm raking away, and the grandmother's cutting, and, and so then the ego jumps in again, and I can see these attack thoughts so clearly. And then I have to stop and think, I can see peace instead of this. This is something I projected from my mind, and I can choose to see it differently. And I went through this um, scenario, gosh, I probably had to say this five or six times in, in a half hour. Uh, I can see peace instead of this. Um, every time the thought would come back, that this isn't right, the, grand, the grandmother shouldn't be cutting the grass. Um, I would then go back up to that decision maker and choose, I can see peace instead of this. Um, and, and it just ties in with this because, wow, look at these judgments that we make every day about everything, um, how things should be, what's right, what's wrong, um, and we never have all of the information to make a judgment. We can never possibly have all that information. But again, we do have the power to choose to see it differently. And I, after probably about five or six times of, of going back to my decision-making mind and, and asking to see this through the peace of, of God, uh, it did change the picture. Um, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm saying this, that this course really works. Uh, it's, you know, it's like that 12-step saying, it works if you work it. Well, you have to be willing to work this. You have to be willing, that little willingness that the course talks about, to go back to your mind and ask to see this differently. And, you know, uh, Jesus is going to take you through that three-step forgiveness process and retranslate those thoughts. Uh, and, and, you know, he does allow you to see peace where you have havoc or discord. Um, so that's my little story. I just want to share that with everyone. Thanks. Thank you. That's a great example. Thank you. And, and I think we all do that. We just we do that. My husband and I were driving through the neighborhood and, and talking about like our next door neighbors, whatever, and things are happening and we're making up stories of what that could be about. And now I just laugh at it. I say, here we go again. This is what we do. We make up these little stories. We have no clue. We have absolutely no clue what they're, what they're doing or why they're doing it. But we like to do that. Uh, and it gives us a sense of, I don't know. It's like, why are we afraid just to say, I, I don't know. I'm clueless. <laughs> so... 
So that, that's a great example of that. And the more we do it, it becomes easier. And, and then we just start laughing at it. We, if we can catch it, the ego doesn't like to be laughed at, you know? So if we just start saying, I don't, I'm not going to listen to you anymore, and just kind of dismiss it, you know, that's, um, we can get to that point. So, so that we, have a, we have a so, lady named Marnie who lives in our building, and uh, she loves fixing situations like that. I mean, she, she just would walk right up on the front porch and lay into those two teenage girls. So my immediate thought is, where's Marnie when I need her? You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to go get Marnie. I'm not going to get the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go get Marnie. Because <laughs> she likes doing that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know people like that. They insist that it's their, they think it's their right, that they, if they see something that they think somebody's doing that's not right, they should, it's their duty to correct them <laughs> and um, they think that's a good thing to do, you know, so, and then I end up judging that. That's my, my, <laughs> I, judge. I, I admit that I, I do. And um, that's my big one, you know, so <laughs> it's endless, but the ego is relentless, but so is the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give up on us. <laughs> Thank God. So I, I, that's all I had. Um, does anybody have anything else they want to share from this lesson or any stories? I think what Lisa just brought up was really cool because this is a course in mind training, right? And it seems like right. what we're being trained to do is to return back. Just like it says in this very lesson, give him your thoughts and he will bring them back as miracles. That's basically what happened. We had upsetness over some people being ridiculous probably um and said there was peace and that's just beautiful um i just wanted to just say thank you to lisa for giving us an example of the very practical advice in this exact lesson which is remember to go back right right thank you thank you thanks Alexa. i appreciate that <laughs> well um there was one thing I would like to just end with, and it's a, it's from chapter, uh, it's from that chapter, the justice of God, and it's one of the most, I think, most poetic uh, passages in the course. It's so beautiful on page five twenty seven, under the section, the state of. No, I'm sorry. It's uh, the light you bring, paragraph number five, and uh, page five twenty seven of the text. And this is just a reminder of Jesus' way of telling us how, how much we're loved, how beautiful we are, the truth of who we are. And he says, in you is all of heaven. Every leaf that falls is given life in you. Each bird that ever sang will sing again in you. And every flower that ever bloomed has saved its perfume and its loveliness for you. What aim can supersede the will of God and of his son that heaven be restored to him for whom it was created as his only home? Nothing before and nothing after it. No other place, no other state nor time. Nothing beyond nor nearer. Nothing else in any form. This can you bring to all the world and all the thoughts that entered it and were mistaken for a little while. How better could your own mistakes be brought to truth 
than by your willingness to bring the light of heaven with you as you walk beyond the world of darkness into light. Isn't that beautiful? So thank you everybody and we just keep we just keep just keep putting it doing the work just doing it just like lisa did and we have to do it every five minutes and ask to see things differently <laughs> we do it when we remember to do it and and don't beat ourselves up when we forget <laughs> so, so thank you all thank you thanks thanks tony thank you thank you thanks, tony bye-bye